All right, Cypress Bible, let's stand to our feet this morning. Let's get excited to worship our God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Oh, we respond to his goodness with our worship and our praise this morning. Come on. We sing a song over the battle today. Praise be weapon that silences the enemy. Let praise be weapon that conquers all anxiety. Let it rise. Let praise arise. We'll sing your name in the dark and it changes everything. We sing with all we are and we claim your victory. Come on. Yeah. 
up, shout a praise, come on, hey. We lift it up together, come on. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb until then. It was my tomb. Hey. Till I made I was breathing but not alive. All my failures I tried. Too high, it was my tune till I met you. We lift it up. You called my name in the out of the grave, out of the darkness into your Your freedom is all that we know, come on. Now your freedom is all that I know. The old man knew, come on. The old man knew. Jesus, when I met you, you called my name. What did we do in our end? Not a big sing about the condition we were in before Christ, before we came to redeem, restore, renew. Come on, we say. Hunger rescue, my sin was heavy, but chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter, I was an orphan, now you call me a citizen. When it's up, when I was broken, you were my
somebody give our God a loud shout of praise this morning. He's worthy. Good morning and welcome. I'm Brian Carroll, one of the pastors here. My privilege to welcome you here this morning. If you happen to be, if this is your very first time here and you're a visitor, we just want to extend a special welcome to you, and we're glad that you're here. Um, on the back of your pews is a little bit of a QR code there. If you take a picture of that or put your camera on that, it'll take you to our web, well, a form, a web form. You can let us know if you're new here, that you're here, if there's information that we can get to you, if you have a prayer request or any way that we can serve you, we'd love to do that. Cypress Bible Church, we have a few values. Really, our, our thrust is beginning where you are, becoming more like Jesus. So wherever you're at in your journey, you are welcome here and we're glad that you're here this morning and hope that if you are new to us that you will uh, join with us in making that journey of becoming more like Jesus. Also we have three things that we focus on, gathering for worship, that's what we're doing this morning, growing through a life-changing truth and we do that best accomplished through smaller group settings where you can learn, uh, grow, uh, encourage each other, uh, fellowship together and share life together with others in a smaller group setting. Lots of opportunities available for that. If you're interested you can go out to the foyer and see the Grow kiosk and someone will help you there. Also, we uh, believe that it's important that we go. You and I know about the gospel message because people faithfully carried that message to us, and we carry that same responsibility. We have a variety of different opportunities at different times uh, where we do training, and then we do opportunities on second Saturdays as part of our Go ministry to help get that gospel uh, across the street and across the world, and then also opportunities to support our missionaries and, and, and that as well. Um, also, if you have any questions on any of these things, you can stop by the Welcome Center. They'll take down what questions you have, and we'll be happy to interact with you as well. Um, I'd like to make an announcement. It's an important announcement. Uh, you know that we've been waiting for quite some time to announce who a lead pastor candidate is. I'm very happy to announce that uh, the elders, after a recommendation, a strong recommendation from the search team, uh, an enthusiastic recommendation, the elders have made a decision and are unanimously recommending a candidate to become the next lead pastor at Cypress Bible Church. We're going to invite you to stay at the end of the service to watch a video announcement from Bob Machetta introducing you to the candidate and giving information about him. And then also, if you, uh, you'll receive an email this afternoon, it'll have that same information. Then you'll receive a second email, which will be information that the search team, those who served on that search team, plus one elder, uh, those who served on that team to tell you what they think and how they, uh, what their perspective is of our, our candidate. And then also on our church website, and all of this stuff you will see and get in an email to you, we will have a page that's just dedicated for you to get to know our, our new lead pastor candidate. And so we'll, we'll show you, we'll connect you to that. So stay, if you can, after the service for that video. Uh, if for some reason some of you have to get away to your service opportunities, you'll get that email this week, or today. You'll get that this afternoon, and so make sure that you watch that so that you'll be well informed. And uh, other than that, I think we continue our worship. Amen. I wanted, before we get started, I just wanted to share... Out of John 13, 34, it says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. What a message that is as we get into a sermon series about marriage, about relationships. For those of us who are married, I believe 100% that as we respond to our spouse, it is, it is something that... It, 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 as we respond to our spouses and we read the word of God, those things should coincide together. As we walk through life, our response should be one through the lens of Jesus Christ. And, and even if you're not married, if you're not uh, currently 
dating anyone, what an opportunity to really take this, this season to prepare yourself, to dig into the Word of God, and to respond to those around you through the lens of Jesus as you pour yourself into, uh, as you pour the love of Christ into your heart, that's what's going to bear fruit, amen. So let's stand to our feet as we continue to worship, amen. We set our eyes on Jesus today, fill our hearts with him, and respond to who he is in this moment, our hope. Morning. 
praise your name, Jesus. We call you King of Kings, Lord of Lords, because of all that you have done for your work on the cross.
this, God. Let that be our posture today, that we would praise you in every season, in every storm, God. That we have the confidence of the almighty God with us. God, would you speak to us this morning? Would you soften our hearts this morning to receive the message you have for us today on relationships and how we can better have relationships and serve those relationships this morning, God? We lend you our ears, we lend you our hearts, and we thank you, most of all, for all that you have done for us and have continued to do. It's in your son's powerful name that we pray these things, and everybody in the house said together, amen. Well, good morning. How are you, Cypress Bible Church? It's good to see you in person, and if you're watching us online. We're glad that you're here going through our three-week series on redemptive relationships. Today we're going to move to chapter five and we're going to look at marriages. And so no matter where you are in your relationship, no matter where your love life is, whether you're newly married or you've been married for 50 years, you still have a lot to learn about marriage. And if you are young and you want to be married someday, this is going to be helpful and beneficial to you. Even if you're divorced and you're contemplating, how do I get healed from my previous marriage? And does the Lord want me to move into a second marriage? This is for you. So we all have an ideal in our minds of what our marriage is supposed to be like. And that's one of the reasons for the artwork is that the images are from the 40s and 50s. It's an idealized view of life, but there's a tear through all of them. All relationships are prone to disunity and discord. And the answer and the solution is always the gospel. It is Christ that reunites us. It is Christ that rebuilds us. And so our marriages need to have a redemptive approach to them. Sadly today, too many marriages and too much of the way people view marriage is completely off the marks from what you're going to see here in Ephesians chapter 5, that God has a much greater view of marriage than you do and society because most people are reductionistic and they fall into the trap of thinking marriage is what you see in movies two people are attractive they fall in love they're good companions and they're supposed to go through life together that is so simplistic um, and it's creeped into the church the church has a low view of marriage uh, by comparison um, since I got married 30 years ago, she was a child bride. Um, but we used to call, in the Christian world, we used to call it holy matrimony. And that was because the union of a Christian man and a Christian woman was set apart for God's use. And so I went to, I've been to two weddings here in this last month. And at one, uh, the pastor who was officiating it, who I actually was part of the team that commissioned him to plant a church here in Houston. When he was up there giving the charge to the husband and wife, the bride and groom, he said, when things get going really, really bad in life and in marriage, and you're going to have a lot of tough times, marriage is really hard. And he was going on about how hard marriage was that my daughter whispered to my wife, gee, is his wife okay? You know, and he, he then said, when it gets really hard, just remember, you love each other. Folks, 
That is a humanistic approach to marriage. That is not what the scripture teaches. The scripture has a redemptive approach to marriage, not humanistic. It's not formulaic. So here's a few things about marriage. 60% of Americans are married. Uh, fewer are getting married, though. The marriage rate is declining. Uh, the average age for someone getting married for the first time is now 29. 30 years ago, it was 24. In 1950, it was 19. So delayed adolescence is affecting people entering into marriage. It also makes people who are entering into marriage much more accustomed to living life on their own and not needing someone else, which then compounds problems when two people come to live together. Um, the divorce rate is really about 30%, meaning 30% of the people who get married will experience divorce. The reason why when they refer to the divorce rate as being higher, like closer to 50%, is all the repeat offenders, meaning people who are married two, three times. They're the ones that drive up that rate. Um, today, 80% of women file for divorce, not the men. <clears throat> and the reasons are very simple. One, they have jobs and they can pay for themselves now and they don't tolerate bad male behavior. And so that's one of the things that we're seeing. It's across the board. Um, we have about, um, we have a number of issues with blended families. I counsel with families who are trying to bring, you know, he's got two kids, she's got two kids. How do they live under essentially one rule? Um, because his kids don't like the way she runs the family. Um, and then they can, it's, it can be a mess with a blended family. And so it takes a lot of love, and it's becoming much, much more common. Uh, we also have um, society believing that it's acceptable uh, for people of the same gender to marry as well. Um, the scripture does not support that in any way, shape, or form. The state can say something is a good thing, but that doesn't mean the church believes that something is a good thing. And so... Marriage has really come a far way from what most Americans perceived marriage was maybe just 50 years ago. So here's some books on marriage that I recommend. Uh, the one in the middle, The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller, it will be for sale out in the commons area. Um, if we sell out of them, there's a list there. Write your name down on the list, and we've got 20 more coming in for next Sunday. I put these up here because as a pastor, I read this type of stuff regularly, and so I'm familiar with all the marriage books, books out there on the market, and these would be the ones I would put forward towards you um, if you are looking to you know, increase your knowledge on the subject, which I recommend. Getting back to our focus for this series is that relationships are to be redemptive, and our key verse for how we're looking at it, our lens through this, is that we're to be imitators of God because you are dearly loved children. Why should you love your wife, gentlemen? Because you are a dearly loved child of God, and you have been loved by Christ who died for you. Therefore, love your wife just like Christ loved you by sacrificing himself in order to honor the Father. And so when you have that approach, the approach of the Lord Jesus Christ in your marriage, your marriage radically moves into the realm of what God has intended for you. And the only thing that is usually holding you back is your own sinfulness, your own pride, your own unwillingness to allow yourself to love as Christ has loved you. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You have the Word of God. We can enter into a loving, more loving relationships in marriage if we allow the grace of God to be our motivation. So as we look at the text, that's what's driving us. Now, hopefully all of you have seen the movie 
The Princess Bride, and you know this scene. My wife told me today that I could not say that big word on the screen. And because I want to honor my wife, this is our time for responsive reading. You get to say it. <laughs> Everyone together, marriage. It is the dream within the dream, right? So here's the thing. If you haven't seen The Princess Bride, you're not living. Um, redemptive marriage begins with a vow. Listen to what the couple say. I promise and covenant before God and these witnesses. Who is at your wedding? God is. God is bringing you together. You should look differently at this mutual love relationship that you have because God has brought you together. It's not by chance, and you're acknowledging it. To be your loving and faithful husband slash wife, for better or for worse, richer or poorer, sickness and health, love and to cherish as long as we both shall live. That is a beautiful statement. It is all-encompassing. It is concise. Thank God for Thomas Cranmer, the great Anglican, to put this together. People have been saying this since the 1500s at their weddings. And so when the man and woman come together, they are taking a vow. Why is a vow so unique to what we're going to be looking at here today and at the understanding of a Christian marriage? Mike Mason said this years ago. He says, to keep a vow does not mean to keep from breaking it. If that were the case, marriage vows would be broken the day they were made. When you get married and you vow to love your spouse, you are saying, I'm going to love you perfectly every day for the rest of our lives. Guess what? You ain't perfect. You are going to fail to love your spouse perfectly. Therefore, we take the vow. It's an admission. It says the vow retains its power and validity irrespective of conduct. I'm going to love you even when you sin. I'm going to love you even when you don't love me as I want to be loved. It's a confession of inadequacy and an automatic calling upon the only adequacy there is, which is the mercy and power of God. You see, the Christian perspective of marriage transcends culture. It transcends human understanding. There is a third partner actively at work in the Christian marriage. The question is, do you want to have a Christian marriage, and do you want to yield yourself to Christ? So here's where Paul starts. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, who's this being written to? Everybody. Everybody is supposed to submit to everybody. Okay, so when you see that word submit, and for the last 50 years with equal rights, people go into revulsion that this is somehow some sort of, uh, the, the man can just rule, you know, manipulatively and cruelly over his wife. Not at all. You don't know what the word means, and you don't know what the intention here is. And so I'm happy to explain it. Verse 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husband. Not someone else's husband, your own husband. Notice the use of the personal pronoun. As you do to the Lord. Why do you submit to your husband? Because you're already submitting to Christ. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands 
in all things or in everything. It means in all different ma manners of life and living. So let's just stop for a moment and pray. Dear Father, we just ask that as you open up the word to us today, that we would all be convicted of where we fall short in our understandings and our execution of our marriage. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would speak to us from your word, reveal things to us. And my real prayer for us is for those who are in the pews today and they're married, that this message would draw them closer to you and closer to each other, that they would confess their sins to each other of where they're not loving each other well, forgive each other, and make amends to love each other better. And, and to do that all by your grace and in your name, we pray. Amen. Okay, so let's take a look at these words that people find so hostile and offensive. Okay, you see I've already changed the word to submit to yield, right? You know, a woman has no problem when she's entering onto I-45 to yield to the cars going by faster. No one has a problem submitting their paperwork to get a loan, right? Yielding submission is a part of life. Um, and so it's just going to happen that someone's going to have, you have a boss, guess what? You have to yield to your boss. Even though his ideas might be wrong, you still have to go along with it, right? You still have to yield to it. Yielding is common in everyday life. Now, notice it's even true in the Trinity. Whose idea was to redeem mankind? The Father. The Father decreed it, and he sent the Son and the Son, the Lord Jesus, submitted to the will of God to come and save the human race. So if you're saying, I'm not going to submit to anyone, you're saying that I'm not going to respect the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus was willing to submit to his Father, and now he's asking you to submit to the man that you believe he's given to you and that you love. It's to yield to him. And let's just be honest about the yielding. Here's how most of it works out in most marriages. This is not that, that, that the man is to be oppressive over the husband. There is nothing in this text, in these 11 verses, that even implies there's a power relationship and one is to have a more powerful re, um, relation over the other. It is totally co-equals. It is totally a covenant of mutual love and respect. But think about it. It goes like this. So, honey, what do you want to do this weekend? Husband, I don't know. What do you want to do? Well, I'd like to go out um, to, to dinner and dancing. Okay, if that's what you want to do. Well, sweetie, where would you like to go? I don't know. What do you feel like eating? Well, I feel like seafood. Okay, honey, let's go get seafood. Do you want to go out to dance jazz, or do you want to go out country western dance? I'd like to go out and, and swing a little bit. Let's go to a jazz club and dance. And guess what? In that situation, who got their way? The woman. So a lot of times the yielding just comes by having a conversation, and when the husband learns what the desires of his wife are, they, they happen. Okay, that's the majority of most marriages. Okay, and it should be. If that's not the case in your marriage, you've got some real problems there that both of you are not adopting. What we're going to see here is the relationship between the man and the woman. You see, the woman is to yield around her husband right? Because her orientation is, I want my husband to be successful. 
You know, one of the cute things that my wife will do is when we're walking through a department store, she'll see a new suit or something, and she's like, oh, you need to wear this. You need to get this. I'm like, oh, it's too much money. No, I've got plenty of clothes. You need it for, for, for preaching. You need it for your work. Okay. Right? Why is she doing that? Because she wants me to be successful. Her orientation as a woman is, I want my man, as he goes out into the world, to be successful. Right? Guys aren't that way. It's like, what's your problem, honey? If you want, you know, to get that promotion, you just got to go out there and work harder and sell yourself. Just do it. Right? Different perspective. Men approach life in a competitive fashion. So, but the man has this sense of authority. And why is that? Well, because if you go back to the garden, who was made first? The man, right? He came first into this world. And so he has this original relationship as being first. And the woman came out of him to be his companion, to be his helper. And the male-female relationship is best understood in the creation context for it to go well. So notice here that he's to be the head, right? And for that means he has leadership, he has responsibility um, for the relationship. But notice how Jesus, he came to serve and not to be served. And so here's the thing. This is part of the mystery that Paul's going to talk about is that the believer who submits himself to Christ is the same way that the wife is submitting herself to her husband. The husband's supposed to be modeling the qualities of Christ. I know a few women that if the husband is being loving, kind, faithful, caring, sensitive, providing, being wise and protective of her, that she's not going to be yielding to him. And if she's unwilling to be yielding to him, if he's modeling Christ, then you need to have some serious counseling. Why not? There's something going on here. So let's continue. Second point, sacrificial love and respect. And just remember, all of this is in your booklets that you should have received before you came in, and, and they're broken down with these points. He says, husbands. Now, he picks on the man. Okay? He says, love your wives. The Greek word there is agapeo. Agape, meaning you're to love your wife unconditionally, not erotically, not eros, not phileo, not like a brother or a sister, but like Christ loves the church. And he'll use that word three times in this passage. Over and over and over, Paul says to the husband, love your wives unconditionally, just like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain, wrinkle, blemish, but holy and blameless. Okay, so now what Paul is doing is he's merging this concept of how Christ relates to the believer and to his church into the marriage union and that the marriage, Christian marriage, is to be a reflection of how Jesus relates to his church and relates to the believer. That's why it's a mystery. It's God's greatest illustration of how we're to relate to him. 
with the intimacy, the love, the care, the concern, the sensitivity. He's making his church pure, holy, unblemished because he wants a beautiful bride. And we see that in Revelation 21 and 22. So how did Jesus love the church? He died for it. He washes our feet. He loves us sacrificially. How is the husband supposed to love his wife? Just like Jesus did. Okay? That, that should make us all pause here. It really should. There, there is no power play in marriage here. It's all about who is going to live in response to grace and what Christ has done for us. And the husband is to model that. He has a huge spiritual task to love his wife well. Ask yourself, what's easier? To lay down your life and die for somebody? Or just yield and go, okay, whatever you want. What's easier? Why would Paul tell the wife, yield to your husband, but then he has to tell the husband, you got to love her? Why would he do that? What is it revealing to us about the nature of the genders and humanity? It's very revealing. Hugely reveal you. So here's the point. First of all, let me make a, a, a joke at it. This is from a comedian who says, marital love is being willing to lay down your life and die for another person who at times you want to kill. <laughs> right? No one can in make you more furious than, than your spouse. And it's because you're so close, you know each other so well, they can push all the buttons that you're really sensitive to on, and they know you so well that psychologically you think that you can be honest about your, your, your emotions, even your worst emotions. And that's why it, marriage can get so hurtful and intense, is there's that psychological notion that I can just vomit my bad emotions on my spouse and they can take it. Well, sometimes they can't. So here's the question that I posed. Why? Why do women have to yield? What did Eve do in the garden? Don't eat from the tree of the fruit of good and knowledge. What does she do? She didn't yield. She went and she ate. There is a sense in a woman that she wants to kind of go and do her own thing because she knows better. Because she has two X chromosomes. The man has an X and a Y. She's got more DNA than he does. She instinctively knows what's best. No argument. No argument. She's also the last of creation, the most beautiful. God did save the best for last when he created woman. No argument. Okay. So here's the thing. Women will naturally love their families. They'll naturally love their husbands. That's easy. Women, or men, no. Women, men operate on the basis of respect. Do you respect me? Men don't naturally move into love and showing love. I've heard it said a number of times, a couple is having counseling, and uh, she says to him in counseling, you never tell me that you love me. That hurts. And his response is, well, we were married 22 years ago, and the day that we got married, I told you I loved you, and that exists for all time. Why do I need to say it again? 
Do you see the differences between men and women? They're real. And so Paul, as he's addressing how we're to love each other, he's addressing what is actually harder for the woman to do. The woman knows better. She doesn't really want to yield to her husband. But she does so because that's how she loves better. She has to lean into Jesus in his grace to yield to her husband on matters. Not that he's being abusive or demanding. That's not on the table here. And the husband, he's supposed to love sacrificially because he just wants to go out and do the world, you know, hit the world hard, come back and sit in his lazy boy and watch TV. But no, he has to actually love his wife actively. And that's a harder thing for him to do. So the call of the gospel on the marriage is calling you to do that which you can only do by the grace of God. That's why you need to have a redemptive understanding of marriage. So, man, don't think that it's your way or the highway. Your marriage should look like Astaire and Rogers. You together glide graciously through life just like they did on the dance floor. That's the goal. If you husbands are not gliding your wife graciously through life, you need to die more to her and to Christ. You are not sa- you're not living sacrificially. Women, don't respond indifferently to his feeble attempts to love you. Help him. Tell him what you need. Be descriptive. He can't read your mind. He won't always know unless you're able to tell him. Tell him kindly. Tell him sweetly. Even if he gets it half right, tell him, good job. Pat him on the head. He'll feel better. You just have to go along this way sometimes in marriage. This is what it's about. Redemptive marriages celebrate Christ. That's where this cleansing comes in, presenting the bride radiantly. We worship together. The husband wants his wife to be free of the corruption of the world. He's protecting her. He's bringing her to Jesus. Here's the thing that you have to ask yourself in in marriage is, how can I play a priest to my spouse today? You have a unique responsibility as a Christian in marriage. You get to help the other person get closer to Jesus. That is your primary role in a Christian marriage. Now, if you're not a Christian, this sounds foreign to you. But I'll tell you this, if you're not a Christian, I don't know how you can possibly be happy in marriage unless you are loving each other the way Paul is instructing us to love each other in marriage. And so as we fill ourselves up on the love of Christ, we then move into loving the other person, being a priest. You should be asking yourself, how do I pray for my spouse today? How do, I help my faith, how do I help my spouse walk closer to Jesus today? How do I serve my spouse today? How do I ease their troubles today? How do I take away their sadness? How do I tell them and show them that I love them? Okay, that's a redemptive approach that celebrates Christ. Our third point is this covenantal oneness. So he goes back to the garden here. In the same way, Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. It should just be common that you should want to take care of yourself, therefore you want to take care of your wife. So ladies, if the guy doesn't like shave or shower and his house is a mess, he's going to take care of you in the same way he takes care of himself. Hello? Know what you're buying before you drive off the lot. 
After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for the body, just as Christ does the church, for we're all members of his body. So he's saying here the natural inclination is you want to take care of yourself. And he's saying your wife is, 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 is your own flesh, right? And he goes in verse 31, he's going right back to Genesis 2:25. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh okay it's a beautiful picture of true love and respect it's a covenant it's not a contract you enter into this just like God enters into his relationship with us you will be my people I will be your God for I am holy and you will be holy that is our orientation it is a covenantal relationship of mutual love and respect we're going to skip over this because we don't have time. That's Dave wanting to play counselor with you. Um, one flesh means that you are vulnerable, you're sensitive to the other person, you're selfless, and you lack pretense. Why does it close in Genesis 2 when it says, and they were naked and unashamed? It means they're completely vulnerable. They're completely selfless. They're not worried about themselves. Adam is worried about Eve. Eve is worried about Adam. In marriage, if you're concerned about caring for your spouse and they're worried about caring about you, you don't have to worry about yourself. Right? But marriages fall into disrepair and hurt and harm when both are narcissistic, prideful, they're only concerned about themselves. If you take the approach like Gary Thomas, who's over at Second Baptist now, marriage is for our holiness. Happiness is just a byproduct, folks. But we've got that messed up. Here's the long approach. This is my favorite quote of the day, so I wanted to put it on the screen to you. The Christian vision for marriage is to look at your spouse and get a glimpse of the person God is creating and say, I see who God is making you, and it excites me. I want to partner with you and God in the journey you are taking to his throne. And when we get there, I will look at your magnificence and say, I always knew you could be like this. I got glimpses of it on earth, but now look at you. Is that your goal for marriage? Do you see that you two are moving towards the throne of God? Do you want meaning and purpose in your marriage? The two of you together through this life are moving towards the throne of God. Will you get there together? Do you see the glimpses of what God is doing in your spouse? Does that excite you? Does that motivate you? This is the purpose of Christian marriage. He ends it this way and says, it's a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Redemptive marriages practice the gospel together. They're forgiving. They're confessing sins. It rejoices in good news. It, it bears one another's burdens. It's not easily angered. It speaks kindly and gently to each other. It puts the other person first. This is what redemptive marriages do. And here's the mystery, and I'm going to end on this. There's some marriage advice for you. But here's what you need to think about when you're thinking about marriage from a biblical perspective. Mary, the, the first scene you see in the Bible is a wedding. Adam and Eve get married. First thing. 
Then move forward to the middle of the Bible. Jesus begins his ministry. He's at a wedding in Cana. He has his inauguration. He makes a case of wine for everybody in attendance. It's over the top. It's overly generous. He's saying the relationship of Christ and the believer and to God and the believer, it's a great feast. Then you go to Revelations 21 and 22, and the scripture ends with a wedding. The mystery is this, is that all of the story of the Bible begins with a wedding. You see Jesus inaugurating his ministry at a wedding. And look, he could have chosen any event. He'd been planning this since the foundation of time. But he chose an obscure little wedding in an obscure little town to announce this is what my kingdom is like. So let us have a big view of marriage, a redemptive view of marriage. And so as you approach your spouse today, and a sprout, uh, maybe uh, approach the wedding of your dreams, do it in a redemptive fashion, remembering that God's got a great view of marriage. Would you stand and worship the God of Christian marriage and Christian weddings?
be seated. If you are one of our new members that we're recognizing in the service, if you would want to come on up to the front, we would appreciate that so that we have the opportunity to introduce you. At Cypress Bible Church, every so often, it's about uh, once every couple months, we have a membership class. It's a great opportunity to explore what it means to be a member at Cypress Bible Church. If you'll notice uh, when you came in, if you got one of the booklets um, on the back, it'll tell you that there is a class that's coming up on Sunday, October 16th. And uh, uh, we would love to have you uh, come to that class to decide whether or not you want to become a member. There's no commitment when you go to the class. It's just, come on up and stand behind me. That's fine there. Uh, there's no commitment when you come to the class. It's just an opportunity to explore. Are you ready to take that next step? And so we'd encourage you to consider that. And if you didn't get a booklet when you came in, we encourage you to do that. It helps you get to know some of the people who are our new members. I'm going to ask my friend Desi. She's going to help me out here. Uh, just to introduce this to you. This is Desi Pocklington. Uh, Des Desi is our executive admin assistant. Yes, you can welcome her. <laughs> you probably receive emails and things from Desi, but she's behind the scenes a lot. So anyway, she's here to assist me this morning. So Desi, we're going to stand over here so we can introduce our members. Uh, the first uh, person that we're going to introduce is Aaron. Aaron Austin. Uh, Aaron uh, came to Christ at a middle school retreat, and uh, he uh, currently is serving as our intern, and uh, he has a special ministry with youth and young adults, and just recently has started seminar seminary, pursuing the possibility of going into ministry. And so we're glad to have you here, Aaron. Welcome, Aaron. Next, we have Nathaniel. Is your brother here with you? I don't see him. All right. Okay. Well, Nathaniel's on the screen, so we'll go ahead to Nathaniel. Um, uh, anyway, Nathaniel, uh, that is Aaron's brother, so they look a little bit alike. Um, anyway, Nathaniel accepted Jesus, interestingly enough, at a middle school retreat as well. And, um, uh, and then after an opportunity to talk with small group leaders and came to know Christ, uh, he experienced God in his life by giving a place to go to feel safe. And he serves around here in lots of ways in our tech booths, and so we're appreciative of that. And also has a special heart of ministry with children and students. And so when you see Nathaniel, you can welcome him as well. 
Next, I'd like to introduce Kipper and Emily, if you guys want to step forward here. Uh, this is Kipper and Emily Hessen, and some of you may recognize the name Emily Hessen. She's on staff here. They came to us back in January, February, I think, right? Around that time. Um, they came to, um, Kipper came to know Christ through, actually through the ministry and a friendship with a pastor at a church. That's how he came to know Christ, and eventually then he served in children's ministry there, and then ultimately into a young adults Bible study, and that's actually kind of how where they met, right? Through that young adults Bible study, and, uh, and married, and then they have one son. Uh, one son. Uh, Emily um, came to know Christ through a discipleship with a dear friend, and uh, through many conversations, she placed her faith in Christ. And uh, she uh, serves here in our, um, in our uh, uh, care and counseling. Thank you, Emily. <laughs> Not Emily, <laughs> Desi. I'm just all confused this morning. She, she, she serves in our care and counseling ministry, and we're glad to have her, and she also has a women's Bible study happening as well. So welcome, Kipper and Emily. Next, and I'm going to come to you guys over here. So this is Wayne and Jen Johnson, and uh, Wayne uh, remembers coming to Christ at a very young age, and uh, following Christ has been part of his life, uh, almost his entire life. Uh, Jen came to know Christ uh, really through the influence ultimately of her grandmother, but it was uh, saved during Sunday school at eight years old. And um, as you can see, they have lots of children, and this is just a portion. They have 11 children, is that correct? 12 children, okay, 12 children. Yes. And um, uh, we are so glad to have them here, and a lot of their ministry is ministering to their kids, but if you get to know them, they are a very helpful group, and we're just so thankful to have you here at Cypress Bible Church as well. And then Josh and Chris Main, if you guys want to step up here. Josh accepted uh, Christ at the Church on the Rock in Longview, Texas, and uh, Chris was four years old when she prayed to receive Christ. And uh, those of you who may know, we've seen uh, Chris Main on our prayer list for a long time. So Chris is here. Chris has dealt uh, two times with cancer and is standing here and in a healthy, healthy uh, road right now. I mean, not, I said Chris. I meant Josh. So my bad. So thank you. Anyway, so Josh has dealt with cancer uh, two times and is on this side of it is looking really good. And we're really thankful to have them here. And uh, Josh is interested in helping us, and he, you, some of you may be hearing from him soon. He's going to help us by contacting people who are interested in serving here, helping them to find the right place. And so we're just begun to explore that possibility. And uh, if you know Chris, she just wants to be helpful. I have to tell you a story about their young son. They have a son named Sawyer. He's going into fifth grade, and two weeks, three weeks ago, he said, can I be on the welcome team? I said, well, we've never had a fifth grader on the welcome team. And he says, can I help with the coffee? And our coffee service team put him to work already. And so we're just thankful that service is a part of your family, and we appreciate that commitment. So thank you. Welcome. And then lastly, I have Sarah. Can I find you? Why don't you step up and up here? Sarah was born in a Christian home and uh, um, remembers being brought up in the faith, but she eventually made her own decision to be a follower of Christ. And uh, she, in the past, has served women, youth, and elderly, and she's looking forward to whatever opportunities God will open the door for her here at Cyprus. So welcome, Sarah. We're glad to have you here this morning. So. Would you join me in praying for our new members? Lord, I thank you this morning for each of these new members. I thank you that they each have a journey with you that ultimately brought them uh, to faith and brought them to a commitment to you and brings them to our church as a new member and part of our body. And Lord, we are thankful for that provision. We pray that you would guide them, use them, and that you would strengthen them. Lord, we just thank you for the blessing they are about becoming part of us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can go ahead and have a seat.
like to close our service with a benediction, and then right after that, we will then show the video. Um, but uh, from uh, today, we've talked about the important role that in our marriages, it's really Christ as the center. It is our love for Christ that overpours in how we relate and either love or respect our spouse. And so a verse that's a very familiar one, I quote to our staff quite often, I think is relevant here too, because we have a ministry to our families. That's part of our role uh, wherever we're at. Whether we're married or single, we all have a responsibility. God's given us responsibility of ministry to our families. And 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And so may God use you this week to be an encouragement and to minister to those you encounter in your family and in your community. God bless. Any of you who need to leave may feel free to do that. I know some of you have to get to ministry. I'd like to introduce to you uh, Jeremy and Don Kingsley. Uh, he is the uh, lead pastor candidate that the elders have recommended. Um, just our process started off with the search committee. They refined that, and then ultimately they recommended him. They recommended a couple candidates after the elders interviewed. Uh, they uh, are coming to recommend Jeremy uh, Kingsley to be our next lead pastor. You'll see his son, Jaden. That's the one in the middle. He's a runner. And then Dylan, you'll see he's a soccer player. Uh, Jaden is in college, and Dylan is in high school. And so um, I'm going to... Uh, after the service is over, uh, if you do not, are not on our email list because we're going to be sending more things that we're going to show in here, there are two on the tables there. There's a place for you to put those down. If you, um, uh, if you do not get emails and that's not the great way to communicate to you, then please see me out in the foyer and we'll find out other ways to get you the information you need. But I turn you over to the video and Bob Machetta. Greetings, Cypress Bible Church. As you know, we began our journey for a new lead pastor in January. Part of this process included evaluating where we are as a church and identifying what we need to do to move the church forward. Research in the United States has shown that young adults are leaving the church at a high rate and overall religious affiliation is declining across America. On the surface, it appears CBC is bucking this trend as we have emerged strong from the pandemic and we are adding new members to our church family. However, most of these new members are coming to CBC from other churches. And that raises the question of what can we do to expose more people outside the church to the life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ? And what kind of lead pastor could best help with that work? We used a professional recruiting firm to assist us with our lead pastor search. Once we established our requirements, they told us our best candidate might not be a highly experienced lead pastor. They suggested that we be open to an up and coming pastor with strong skills who's ready to step into that lead pastor role for the first time. That's exactly what happened. Our nine person CBC search team recommended final candidates to the elder board who have that strong potential to be up and coming lead pastors. I am pleased to announce that the elder board has unanimously agreed on one of those candidates, Jeremy Kingsley, for the lead pastor position at Cypress Bible Church. Let me review some of the key characteristics and strengths that he brings. He has been preaching and teaching God's word for the past 27 years at churches conferences, Christian universities, and special events. 
He has a passion for developing and discipling leaders within the church with a special emphasis on helping men to grow spiritually and professionally while making a spiritual impact in the relationships in their homes, their workplaces, their churches, and the communities in which they live. Jeremy has worked extensively with over 100 churches in his 27 years of ministry. However, he has not worked as a full-time pastor for a church. He now senses God's call to devote his efforts to a single church and community and can continue to grow and utilize his gifts for preaching, leadership, and ministry. As a point of interest, Jeremy is familiar with the history of Cypress Bible Church. As one of our early pastors, Johnny Miller, was also the president of Columbia Bible College when Jeremy was a student there. Johnny had a strong influence and impact on Jeremy's life and his ministry. Going forward, you will have the opportunity to meet and hear Jeremy preach at both services on Sunday, July the 24th. You are also invited and encouraged to attend a church-wide question and answer time that same day from 6 to 7.30 p.m. in the Worship Life Center. We also created a webpage to help you understand more about Jeremy. Go to cypressbible.org, scroll down, and you will see a lead pastor candidate there. On the webpage, you'll have the opportunity to learn more about Jeremy, to learn more about his background, his experiences, review his references, watch videos of the search team, give their endorsement for Jeremy, and find more information about that congregational meeting that I mentioned. You can also submit questions for him to answer at that meeting. You will also see links of previous sermons that you could review. It's also an opportunity to pr provide feedback to the elders regarding Jeremy. As required by our church bylaws, today's communication initiates a two-week comment period for CBC members to give feedback to the elders about our lead pastor candidate. This two-week period concludes on Sunday, July the 31st. On behalf of the Elder Board, I would like to thank our search team, the church staff, and each of you for your ongoing prayer and support throughout this process. Please join me in welcoming Jeremy to our church on Sunday, July the 24th.